You know, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. This is the word of the Lord. We've had 25 years of the Canipa Lectures, and we've had some really outstanding people come to our city in this interfaith series. We'll all remember Bishop Robert Hayes' address two years ago as one of the best ever. One that I remember from 20 years ago was delivered by Dr. Martin Marty. At that time, he was a professor of sociology and religion at the University of Chicago. He was also editor of the Christian Century magazine. His address that night was on tribes and tribalism. And I still remember his saying that every person needs a tribe to which he or she belongs. A family. A family tribe that helps you understand where you've come from, where you are, where you may be going. The problem comes, he said, when one tribe decides its tribe is better than all the other tribes. That all others must be inferior to its tribe. I remember when I was a boy getting to go to the Cotton Bowl game in the fall when Texas and Oklahoma would play. Here these two great universities would come together, 40,000 people dressed in burnt orange and 40,000 in cream and crimson, and they would stand there and scream the biggest obscenities either one could think about the other for the next three hours. It amazed me. Um, I wondered what strange, horrible people must live north of the Red River <laughs> until we moved across the Red River. And I couldn't tell two cents worth of difference in the people in Tulsa and Dallas. They seem very much the same to me. So when one decides one's tribe is better than all the other tribes and all the other tribes must be somehow inferior, we decide it's our tribe against all the others. So the Jews were Jews and everybody else was Gentile. And the Greeks were Greeks, and everybody else were barbarians. So at one Passover occasion, when Jesus and the disciples were in Jerusalem, some Greeks came to Passover, and they sought out Philip. Why would they seek out Philip? Ah, you remember this name. Philip of Macedon, father of Alexander the Great. Philip was a Greek name not a Jewish name. So Philip had a Greek name. He lived up on the northernmost bank of the Sea of Galilee, Bethsaida, and he went and found the only other of the closest disciples of Jesus who had a Greek name, Andrew. Andrew's not a Jewish name. It's a Greek name. So these two who had Greek names, who had been Hellenized, if you would, went to see Jesus and said, there's some Greeks here and they want to see you. And Jesus started talking about the hour for which he had come. Let's take a look at this as you wait your turn to come to the table. 
Number one, John is trying to say something very profound in this passage. It's a watershed moment in his gospel for those who are reading or hearing it read to them. This is the time when John is speaking to those who will read or hear his gospel, and that's a Gentile world. It's a Greek-Roman world who will hear this gospel. By the time John writes, Jews have gone back to the synagogue. Christianity has become a Gentile movement. So when you read John's gospel, you discover that when we get to this passage I've just read with you, we've already passed Palm Sunday. It's already in that last week of Jesus' life as John writes it for us. Now, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that look alike, those three say that Jesus was crucified finally because of the reaction to his cleansing the temple. That when he went into the temple and started turning over the tables of the money changers, that's when people chose up sides. Some who really supported what he was doing and others who said, he's got to go. In John's gospel, it's not the cleansing of the temple that's the decisive moment he believes it was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. That caused people to rush to be close to him or to decide, hey, if he can bring people back from the dead, we've got to get rid of him. That's the way John saw it. So, Palm Sunday, he said, the crowds that went out to meet him were those who had heard what he had done in raising Lazarus. And then he concludes the passage immediately before the one we've just read by saying, the whole world was going out to him. Now there were some in Jerusalem for the festival who were Greeks. The whole world. This gospel is about God's love for the whole world. Indeed. Before the Academy Awards, one of the movies I'd mentioned to you was Lonely Heart. I'd read number of reviews about Lonely Heart, what different critics thought about it. Uh, almost everybody was predicting that Jeff Bridges was going to win that award for Best Leading Actor this past year, and he did win it, of course. He was being interviewed again just a few days after he was presented the award, and he was asked, why do you think this story reached so many people's hearts? Why did it speak to them? Well, it was sort of like the movie years ago with Tender Mercies that Horton Foote wrote that Robert Duvall won an Academy Award for playing the part of an old washed-up country-western singer who's uh, had too much to drink and too much to smoke and too many women all these years, and he's, he's lost, he's wasted away when a younger woman with a little boy comes into his life. Lonely Heart, similar kind of story. Country western singer, too much alcohol, too many cigarettes, too many women. Life is nearly over for him, and a younger woman and a little boy come into his life. And Jeff Bridges was asked again, and what did you see as the most important point in the story? He said, I liked all the songs. We had great songwriters, but maybe best of all the one that says, the singer says, I used to be somebody, and now I'm somebody else. But this is the line I want you to hear in this interview. Isn't it wonderful, he said, to think somebody could be born again? John's Gospel is about that very thing. Back there in chapter 3, it was Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night asking him about the kingdom. And kingdom, kingdom, Jesus said, you have to be born anothen, which can mean as before. That's what Nicodemus thought. 
Be born again is before I'm a grown man. It also can mean from above. A new thing can mean from above. To be born from above? To have one's whole life turned and changed and made better? Is that really possible? Number two. When Philip and Andrew speak to Jesus about these Greeks, he says, this means my hour has come. Should I say, please deliver me from this hour? No, indeed. It is for this hour that I came. He tells them about the grain of wheat. If you just have one grain, just put it there on a shelf somewhere. It remains one grain. But if you put it into the ground and it dies, you have a lot more wheat. Signifying, of course, that he will die. And from his death, there will be many, many who will come to life. Who will come to life. I was reading an interview earlier this week with Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Remember that he's a Nobel Peace Prize winner. Primarily because of the work that he did in South Africa after apartheid was coming to an end. When uh, Nelson Mandela was finally released from prison after all those years, was elected first president in the general elections of both black and white voters, uh, Desmond Tutu and other officials in the church called for trials. And they brought to trial over a period of months and months uh, various people who had done wrong to black people or white people. And the most horrifying stories were told and testimony and witness given. But the point of these trials was not to put people to death or even to put them in prison for the next 80, 100 years. The point was to have those who were wronged walk over and hug those who had wronged them. To say, if we're going to be a country, if we're going to be one people in South Africa, we've got to let the past be past and move on. Archbishop Tutu has a new book out about goodness. And this review, uh, interviewer said to him, Come on, Archbishop, you've been around a long time. He's getting to be a very elderly man now. You've been around a long time. Do you really believe there are more good people than bad? And he said, Belief is not the right word for a Christian. Hope is the right word. I hope, I hope, because my favorite verse in the Bible, I thought, wow, that's what I was talking about last Sunday, my favorite verse. Well, he chose one from Paul's letter to the Romans. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we were good, before we were better, before we had been turned, before we had been born again from above, he already loved us already was willing to give himself for us. Okay, points three and four, a little couplet here. And scholars say that this little couplet, all scholars are sure, must have come right from the mouth of Jesus because it's found five times in the Synoptic Gospels and twice in the Gospel of John. This part about if you're trying really hard to save your life, you're going to lose it. And if you're willing to lose your life, you save it, you find it. That this must have come right from the heart of Jesus because all of them have it. All four writers have it. So what does that mean? If you're willing to lose your life, 
What if you're trying so hard to hold on to your life and you're losing it all the time? Okay, all of us liberal arts majors, we remember Percy Bysshe Shelley. Remember Percy Bysshe Shelley? He was born in 1792, just a few years after we became a separate nation, of course. He lived only 30 years. 30 years. And yet he's remembered as one of England's great, great poets. One of my professors said the greatest poem he ever wrote, he was only 25, and it's a sonnet of 14 lines. It's called Ozymandias. Remember it? Ozymandias. Percy B. Shelley was very familiar with the museums in downtown London, and they do have wonderful ones. The Museum of London, the British Museum, you can spend days in either of those. Well, all that many years ago, the British ruled the seas, and they were bringing treasures from all over the world. And Shelley had heard about one of the treasures that was being brought into London, and he wrote a poem about it. He called it Ozymandias. He said, There was a traveler from far away who told me in that windswept land there were two great trunks, uh, two, two great legs, without a trunk sticking up out of the sand. A short distance away, a visage, part of a face, broken, crushed, but still with a sneer upon its lips. Behold, I am the great Ozymandias, King of Kings. The point? Somebody one time thought he was very important. And a big stone statue made of himself. The sands had blown across this great statue. It had tumbled down, legs still upright, torso down, face shattered. King of kings? Sure, Shelley's saying. Absolutely. King of kings, Ozymandias. Those who've spent their whole lives taking, 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 and then all is taken from them. But if you're willing to lose your life, if you're willing to hate life in this world, as the way John says it, life in this world, this world that's been dark, and look to that world which is light, that light's come into the world and darkness has never been able to put it out. If you look to that world, it changes everything. You will discover a gift of life, life abundant, life everlasting. Ann Curry is on NBC Today show. <clears throat> I've seen Ann a number of times on television. You can tell that she has Asian blood. But only recently did I read an article written by Ann. In fact, her father was a U.S. Navy man who arrived in Japan shortly after the dropping of the two big bombs in the end of World War II. Anne's mother was Japanese. She had grown up on a little rice farm not far out of Tokyo. Um, times were hard, very, very difficult, not enough rice for everybody. This one daughter needed to go into town and make a living. She got a job as a conductor on a streetcar in Tokyo. One day, a young Navy man, not an officer, an enlisted man in the Navy, got on the cable car and saw this young woman. Thought she was the most beautiful thing he'd ever seen in his life. Didn't have the courage to walk over and speak to her. Wasn't sure it was appropriate. He got him to where he needed to get off, got off. But the next day, went back to the same spot, same time, and there she was, working again. Didn't have the courage to speak to her. 
day after day, managed to get back, same time, same place, same car. There she was working until he finally had the nerve to speak to her. And Ann said, my mother and father said later, they both fell in love with the other at that moment. But the U.S. Navy did not want Americans marrying Japanese right at the end of the war, so they put him on a ship and sent him as far from Japan as they could. He wrote back to her and said, I will wait for you if you will wait for me. It took two years for him to get reassigned back to Tokyo. She had waited, he had waited, they were married. Five children born to them over the years. Anson dad served in the Navy for 30 years. When his 30 years were up, they settled in the United States. The mother had started going to the Roman Catholic Church with her husband. They had become, she had become Christian along with him. And now the whole family had been reared in the Roman Catholic Church. Anne said my dad was a Navy man, not a cruel Navy man, but a disciplined Navy man. And she said with five children, we were always whining and complaining about something. And someone would say, that's not fair, that's not fair, that's not fair. And said my dad had a rule. Anyone who says that's not fair, you jump down ten push-ups. On your tummy, five, ten push-ups for the rest of us. No whining, no complaining. And she said, one day, all five of us were out with our dad. We got on the city bus, and we all scampered for seats. And the five of us got the only five that were left. And dad, without thinking, said, hey, that's not fair. And one of the kids pointed into the aisle of the bus, and he dropped down in the aisle of the bus and did ten quick ones, she said. And then she said, but in this big loving family, I discovered how important it was to reach out to the other and to learn from the other. She said, when I was ready to start to college, my dad started to college on a GI Bill to begin the second half of his life. We went to college at the same time, she said, and we were the first two in my mother or father's family ever to go to college and became a journalist. And now she says, I meet so many wonderful people in some of the most difficult circumstances imaginable. Wherever NBC News sends me, I, I see these people, wonderful people. I mentioned just one. She said she was in the Congo not so long ago, one of those terrible tribal wars. She was in a makeshift hospital out in one of the jungle areas. A young woman had been treated. She said, I'd been told by someone in the hospital that this young woman had seen her mother and father horribly hacked to death right in front of her eyes and then she had been chained to a tree and raped by multiple people from this other tribe. She said, I made my way to her bed. She was doing better physically. I chatted with her a few moments and then I said, when you're well enough to get out, what are you going to do? And she said, I'm going to walk around the hospital and thank everybody who's helped me, everybody who's bathed me, fed me, cared for me, and the rest of my life, I'm going to do my best to do whatever God tells me to do.